Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. I remember this point in the pandemic where it felt like viral videos of Asians, especially Asian elders, getting attacked in the streets seemed to be coming all from right here in the Bay, and San Francisco in particular. In many ways, this is the epicenter of the Stop Asian Hate movement. And amid all that fear and anger, people also want justice. And more specifically, lots of people in San Francisco's Asian community want the criminal justice system to come down heavy on the people accused of these attacks. And the question of whether or not that's actually happening is a huge sticking point in the effort to recall San Francisco's progressive district attorney, Chesa Boudin. So today, four days before the recall election, we're going to dig into some of these high-profile cases and talk about why finding justice is way harder than it seems. Yes, so I think since the start of the pandemic, we see uh, an increasing amount of media coverage about anti-Asian hate incident or violence, including all those high-profile cases that we examine in our stories. This is Han Lee, a reporter for the San Francisco Standard. He reported this story with Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, producer and reporter for KQED News. Together, they looked into 12 high-profile cases of violence against Asian folks in San Francisco. Asian American is about one-third of the city's population, so all this incident will trigger a big amount of residents living in the city that they see, you know, their grandparents, their, their, their family members, or, you know, their fellow Asian Americans being attacked. And that's why um, we see, you know, the Stop Asian Hate movement. And also they help field a local recall campaign. I think there is a bigger picture of Asian Americans being frustrated in San Francisco. The school education issues we talked about during the school board recall, right? And the other thing is, yes, the public safety concerns. And both of these just make the Asian American community or the broader San Francisco community, a lot of people, they're feeling upset. And that's why um, if there is an option of recall uh, presented to them, they might think, okay, that's, that's that's a way that they can, you know, kind of express their anger and frustration. 
Han, what do we know about Asian and Asian American support for the recall of Chesa Boudin? According to our own polling result, Asian American um, has the highest support to the recall among all the other ethnic groups. And there's a clear difference between the community momentum and the elected official or political leadership in the Asian American community. So we see a long list of all the former or current elected Chinese American elected officials. They are supporting Boudin. They are on the Boudin side, including the current, uh, both of the current API uh, supervisors, Connie Chan and Gordon Marr and Assemblyman Fielding and all the former supervisors, Mabel Tang, Norman Yi, and Sandra Fewer. So Joe, you chose to look at 12 high-profile cases, and each case is, of course, very distinct and hard to extrapolate to all crimes. But is there anything that these 12 cases have in common? The one thing that unifies these is they were talked about as hate crimes, but they weren't charged as, as hate crimes, largely. Uh, the other thing that I think is interesting is that, you know, there's a lot of community tensions uh, between the uh, black and Asian communities, I should say, right now, because the underlying assumption and the underlying stereotype is that um, that there are black people attacking Asian folks uh, uh, predominantly. But the cases we looked at, which we looked at because of how high profile they were and how much they kind of rocked the community, there was a mix of ethnicities of, of suspects. There was black folks, there was Latino folks, there was... Uh, white folks. Um, and the other thing that kind of unified those those suspects is that many went into mental health diversion programs and perhaps had mental uh, health issues. Out of the 12 high-profile cases that Han and Joe looked at, many were originally investigated as hate crimes, but only two ended up that way. All 12 are still pending in the court system, and five of the people accused have been sent to mental health diversion programs, which means the prosecutions could be suspended depending on what happens. I know you spoke with some of the victims and the families of the victims of these crimes. What have most of them, Han, wanted from the police, the district attorney, and the justice system in response to what happened to them? Yes, I talked to Grandpa Liao, a victim who was viciously kicked to the ground when he was waiting at a bus stop in Tenderloin. He thought he was targeted because of his Asian or He's disabled. So when they saw that, that video, you know, and then I'm thinking it's a racial motive because he pushed my father while... And also I spoke to the daughter of Grandpa Visha, um, the 84-year-old Thai man who was shoved to death in San Francisco and also caught on video, shocked the world, and later Grandpa Visha became the public face of the Stop Asian Hate movement. One half block from here, you can see how my father, 84 years old, walked, you know, like, he's totally Asian. I think he's uh, pushed anger on him by the racial moderate, yes, anti-Asian. Got it. The daughter also said um, she thought the crime against her dad was racially motivated. So I think there is a, there's a fear in the community that they're being targeted. But 
in the criminal justice process, all the crimes that I mentioned just now, they're not hate crimes. It is tough and very serious and emotional work. We talked to a hate crime prosecutor who is now the spokesperson for the recall campaign, Brooke Jenkins. She said she emphasized the importance of charging hate crimes because the victims might want to see a, a true reflection in the charges that reflect the suspect's motive, the suspect's full scope of, of their conduct, right? And they want a field of indication. We are trying to every single day, or we should be trying every single day, to give a victim the sense of justice and to give a defendant a sense of walking away feeling like they were treated fairly. And to be clear, uh, hate crimes are an enhancement on charges. Um, they generally you know, in- engender a, a steeper uh, sentencing, like it enhances a- another crime. So if you assault, it's an assault with a hate crime enhancement, right? And so when people are asking for more hate crime charges, what they are asking for is for longer sentences, steeper sentences. Jill, it seems like there is a gap between what people feel is a hate crime and what the legal definition of a hate crime is. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's the, in fact, that's that whole sentiment is the starting point for our story. What, what, what do people feel is a hate crime? What do people feel in their gut, feel in their heart is them suffering a crime because of hate? And what does the judicial system, what does the legal system say is a hate crime and can be tried as such? Coming up, we're going to dive into one high-profile case in San Francisco's Bayview neighborhood. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.
I know there was this huge case that really made rounds on social media that took place in the Bayview back in 2020. Can you walk me through what happened, starting with the attack? Mr. Jones said that he would regularly go through the Bayview collecting cans, right? And he's uh, one of these people who lives on the margins in San Francisco collecting cans um, for their money. Uh, he said that he'd refused uh, government assistance. His wife does work. And they do uh, live somewhere together. But he has uh, limited language proficiency. And so what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to collect cans for money. It, it happens to so many people, sadly, um, that we don't help really um, come into this country. So, but he's going through the Bayview regularly, um, collecting cans, and he would say that he, he found a welcoming community there, a historically black community with a rising Asian population. He found a lot of folks who were generally very kind to him. But one day he goes to uh, uh, Osceola Lane, uh, which is near some uh, apartment projects there, and he's collecting cans, and um, he is attacked. This fellow, um, a black fellow with, um, with what looks like a garbage picker, starts swinging it at him. And another man, a younger man, records it. This is Dwayne Grayson. And Dwayne Grayson, who's about 20, records the incident. And you could hear him on the video as he's watching Mr. Zhao getting swung at. Dwayne Grayson, you could hear him say on the video, you know, I hate Asians. And saying it very plainly. I think when the video went viral on social media or being broadcast on TV, a lot of Asian American community members are were they were shocked and um, also angry because Mr. Joe was a 68-year-old monolingual immigrant and being treated um, like that publicly, and he was crying on the video. And I think those scenes really triggers a lot of Asian American. Uh, community members to to a level that they think enough is enough. Even though Mr. Joe had requested a restorative justice process, he and Dwayne Grayson, the young man who recorded the video, never did sit together to discuss their differences, and it's not entirely clear why. Instead, Chesa Boudin's office said Grayson was referred to a neighborhood court and was given instructions about how to repair the harm he caused. Still, this is one of those high-profile cases in San Francisco that still raises eyebrows among folks in the Asian community who think that Boudin should have been more aggressive about charging Grayson. Both are eventually arrested. Um, Mr. Zhao, to my understanding, is not seriously injured, but he declines to pursue charges with the younger man, Dwayne Grayson. Um, and instead, what uh, Mr. Zhao opted to do was ask for uh, Mr. Grayson to go through a restorative justice um, program. And what me and Han found looking through this was a few things. One, which was interesting, was when um, Mr. Zhao asked for Dwayne Grayson to go through a restorative justice program. A lot of the headlines read, charges dropped against suspect in attack on, you know, Bayview Man. And when I don't know about you, but when I hear that headline, it feels like a guy who attacked was let go by Chesa Boudin. But that's not the case. The attacker, Jonathan Amerson, is still in, in the court process and is, uh, is, is awaiting his uh, next hearing. Uh, but the headlines really misconstrued a lot. 
Juan, how has Boudin responded to the criticism over how he handled this case in particular? I think Dear Boudin, he publicly addressed this at a KQD live event. Offensive, horrific, racist, disrespectful behavior. Outrageous. Not criminal. He did acknowledge this is racist, but not reach the level of a criminal prosecution. It is not a crime to make a video of somebody else committing a crime. It's not a crime to be racist. As offensive as it is, as distasteful, as much as we as a city condemn and reject that kind of behavior, for me to file a criminal case ethically, we have to have a crime that corresponds to the action of the person we're prosecuting. And making a video of someone else being a victim of crime is not a crime. Joe, there's also sort of a local context to this conversation, especially in the Bayview, and that's the issue of tensions between the Black and Asian community in San Francisco. And I know that these attacks have really been used to fuel the idea that there's a problem of Black on Asian crime. And I mean, I've seen this on social media myself how have you seen this, and, and how does it square with what's actually happening in San Francisco between the Black and Asian community? The, the Black and Asian communities have a, a long history together in San Francisco of both being on the margins um, and both being political minorities in the city for a long time. You can't help but see attacks like Mr. Joe's in the context of a shrinking Black population in San Francisco, but also in the Bayview in particular, uh, and the rising Asian population. When we talk about tensions, let's name those feelings. The tensions is a very like vanilla way for us, a safe way for us to describe it. It's fear. It's fear. There is fear from communities of each other. And then there is reactions that come out of that fear. You know, one thing that is real um, and prevalent and a big part of what's driving San Francisco's change, especially in the communities that we love, um, is racism and specifically anti-black racism. I was talking with um, Denise Hollins, who is the uh, executive director of Californians for Safety and Justice. Uh, That's a criminal justice reform group. There's a very real sentiment that there are populations of individuals who cause problems and make the city and community unsafe and less desirable. And Black people, specifically Black men and boys, are at the top of that list. Tinnish Hollins was, you know, is from the Bayview. As soon as I started talking to her about the Bayview case, she was like, oh yeah, on Osceola Lane. She knew it, just off her head, because this is her home. You know, she's seen this fear in both communities. And, you know, as someone who works with crime victims, She was describing how sometimes that fear can be used for political purposes, too, and talked a lot about it being used in in the uh, recall of Chase Boudin. Public safety right now, I feel like, is a very covert way of of naming it and being able to say we want tough on crime so we can push away the kind of people that we don't desire in our communities because we see them as the problem. And we see, instead of looking at the actual problem. How do people in the Bayview feel about what the right punishments for these attacks on Asians should be? From my previous reporting and, uh, and, and knowledge of the city, that there certainly is a diversity of opinion. 
And a lot of it can be on generational lines, too. You know, Tanish really talks that what, what really stood out to me is that she has experience with crime victims, deep experience with crime victims and with criminal justice reform. And she has experienced uh, not only that restorative justice can be an uphill battle generally, but that in her experience um, working with immigrant communities, she's found that they often may not uh, uh, be in favor of restorative justice largely. Um, and, um, and that could be a, a really uh, tough sell. If we had all agreed that there are better ways to resolve the kind of social conflicts that come up in our communities, especially when racial tensions are involved, that the criminal legal system might not be the best way for us to come and repair a bond without pitting against each other who is the aggressor and who is the victim, then you might have a lot more buy-in. Even in Mr. Joe's case, um, where he wanted restorative justice, even then it could be it was a tough sell, and we found that the the um, the experience of what restorative justice um, Dwayne Grayson went for shifted from the sit-down style with Mr. Joe to neighborhood courts. I would like to think that the people involved in this situation, the ones who didn't participate, probably weren't invested because the larger society sees them as the aggressor, not just in this situation, but overall. Han, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Do you see this divide as well? on sort of what to do? I think um, when we're talking about Asian American community here in San Francisco as a voting block, we might consider it's a more moderate. And also for the younger generation, there are more um, progressive. Um, and also for for maybe older generation immigrant community, when they first com- come here, they might not um, know um, a lot of uh, racial justice movement in American history. And when they see the news, when they see all those crimes happening, they might have a stereotype of, you know, they're being attacked by a certain type of people, right? But um, so there is a divide. And I, I do see a lot of conversations um, being hosted or happen trying to bridge um, different communities are trying to solve the tension, but still, um, but still, the, as Joe mentioned, the tensions are, are real. Our, the tensions are, are, are there. Han, when you look at these different cases, what have you learned about the criminal justice system and what it looks like to address hate incidents and violence against Asians? First, hate crimes are hard to charge, right? It has to show a pattern of the victims being in the same, you know, racial identity groups or they hateful statement verbally uh, expressed. So um, that's the first takeaway. And the other thing is um, all the 12 cases that we examined happened, you know, some are two years ago, some are uh, more than a year ago, they're still pending in the court system. I think that's also because of the pandemic. So the court proceedings just being very slow right now. But that also means, you know, if someone are looking for justice, that you know they might still be waiting. And the third is um, when a suspect or perpetrator is mentally unstable, how are we going to deal with that in the criminal justice system, right? Can he be charged as a hate crime if he's mentally unstable?
I think that's a bigger question here, and I also think that reflects some of the um, D.A. Boudin's uh, campaign or his progressive platform that he ran on, that jail or prison is not the answer, right? Maybe uh, there are other ways, alternatives to, to address all the crimes. I think for now, the Asian American community, after after all the crime cases they have been seeing on news, they want to feel vindicated. They want to seek the justice. That might directly lead to, okay, we want a conviction, we want punishment. But is that the the right way to address crime here? That's I think that's a bigger question for for the criminal justice reform movement here, right? Is jailing people, putting people in jail, lock them up, are the right solutions here? When those communities are seeking new solutions, there that you have to recognize that you know Han mentioned this earlier. The Asian community in San Francisco is about a third of the city. The black community in San Francisco is is smaller than it ever has been. You know, a very real fear that you know some of our sources bring up is that you know when you are correcting course to try to protect the Asian community, how do you minimize harms to other communities too, including the black community? After all of our reporting, after all the folks we talked to, after all the cases we looked at of hate, um, I wonder how we change this cultural moment. It's a big question. It's a broader question. But it's if it can't happen in San Francisco, that's the thing that shocks me. The Asian community built San Francisco, intertwined with all of us. Put it in that context. What American city can boast uh, such an amazing history with its Asian community? And in this city, we still experience this? How? It's hard. It is. Well, I appreciate you both so much for the context that you bring to this story and your willingness to talk about these really messy and hard topics um, and for joining us and helping us break it down. Um, Han and Joe, thank you so much. Thank you so much. California's primary election is on Tuesday, June 7th. That is next week, y'all. All registered California voters should have already received a mail-in ballot, but you can still vote in person if you want. For more information on voting in the June primary, visit KQED's Voter Guide at kqed.org voterguide. I also have another episode to recommend for you all. A few weeks ago, we dropped an interview with District Attorney Chase Boudin. He spoke with my colleagues Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer about his record, his approach to criminal justice, and why he thinks he should not be recalled. If you're a San Francisco voter or if you just want to learn more, we'll leave you a link to that in our episode notes. Thanks to Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, a reporter and producer for KQED News, and Han Lee, a reporter for the San Francisco Standard. Oof, this episode was hard to make, y'all, so give it up for our editor, Alan Montecilio, for getting this hour-long convo with Joe and Han cut and edited, and to me for scoring this one and adding all the tape. Our senior editor of podcasts is Jessica Placek. Kiana Mogadam is our senior producer of podcasts. Jen Chien is our director of podcasts. And Holly Kernan is our chief content officer. The Bay is a production of KQED in San Francisco. I am Erica Cruz Guevara. Peace out, y'all.
Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.